and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA, and we are doing so on Sunday evening. The NBA Finals are set. Joining us to talk about it from Austin, Texas, is Kirk Goldsberry. Hi, Kirk. I hope you're doing well, and I hope you're excited that we are finally in the NBA Finals. I am doing well, and this is fantastic. I'm proud that we're, we're about to have an NBA Finals after all we've gone through, and it looks like it's a great one. Spo versus LeBron. What more can you say, Brian? No kidding. Uh, that's just Spo, the whole Heat organization. Uh, <laughs> and joining us from Los Angeles, where Game 1 of the uh, Finals will virtually be, <laughs> is Ramona Shelburne. would have been great to be at Staples for everything this uh, playoffs, but... Um, uh, the last two nights, Ramona, we've seen you know new blood in a uh, new blood, I guess, with LeBron, but uh, old blood with him. But uh, new teams in the finals uh, after the Warriors were there for so long, it doesn't surprise us, okay? But um, new storylines, new blood, a lot of excitement despite everything that's gone on. A lot of excitement, at least for me, for what's coming up Wednesday night when Game One Lakers Heat will begin. Man, I you know look. I'm going to make two vows right now. Uh, this is the last time that I am going to talk about quote unquote heat culture. Okay. We've already like jumped the shark <laughs> on that. Um, everybody knows about heat culture. We've been writing about it. Uh, and this is also the last time that I'm going to publicly even lament or bring up the idea of how nice it would have been to have a series between Miami and LA flying back and forth between those two cities. Nobody cares about the sports writers, okay? And and our whatever restaurants we get to go to, let's let's all just make that vow right now. This is the last time we talk about it. Miami <laughs> in October is spectacular, by the oh. way. As a former Miami resident, oh it, man, uh, you're right, it is. October, <laughs> November, before the snowbirds come, mm. Miami mm. at its finest. It's okay, anytime tonight is okay, but after tonight, <laughs> we're not talking okay. about it anymore because it's just going to be too painful. And also, there are other real problems in the world. No kidding. Um, so uh, the Celtics once again were in position to win uh, this game, game six, as they were for three or so of these games in this series. And once again, the Heat just outplayed them. Mm -hmm. And once again, it was across the board. Uh, this time, Bam Adebayo. I mean, he is brilliant. Ooh. He's a brilliant player. You know, his Twitter handle is Bam one of one. And Kirk, I am not going to dispute that. I, I, I mean, I, I know that he's sort of Draymond 2.0. I've never seen a player like him. No. And he took he, he took control of this game in the fourth quarter, uh, and then Tyler Hero with another performance uh, where he rises above his station, his expected station, and has a huge fourth quarter. And of course, contributions elsewhere. But Bam Adebayo uh, does things that we just haven't seen before. It was too much for the Celtics to handle, and it's going to be a huge challenge for the Lakers, I think, Kirk. That Bam Adebayo dunk with about six minutes and 40 seconds left in this game was awesome and incredible. And I, I think it was Mark Jackson who just said, you know, what? we were just like, oh, my God, okay, this guy's different. Um, huge moment. Then, you know, Tatum comes down, hits a three, and if you remember, Bam comes back down and hits a little mid-range floater type shot with an and one. And then the next possession down has that sick wraparound pass with his left hand oh. to Jimmy to put them up three. Not only is Bam, I think he led this team in points, rebounds, and assists in this series, but in the middle of this 26-6 to run where they put this team down, the Celtics down, he was by far the best player in the game. Uh, and those three plays really captured the essence, an explosive dunk, a little finesse touch and an and one in that beautiful left-handed pass to Jimmy uh, that really changed the momentum in this game. You know what gets me about him, Bri, is just like when you watch him play, you forget like, oh, he's got a handle. Oh, he's a good passer. Oh, he like there's all these other things that Bam can do that when you look at him as just a big or a, you know, a, a shot blocker or a defensive stopper or, you know, it's, he's great going downhill. You forget he has all that other game, and, I, and it's it's kind of fun to watch. I also, I mean, five years from now, we might be like, oh, he's the best player in the game. I, I, I don't know where his ceiling is because I don't think he's there yet. Yeah, and uh, I also thought that uh, Eric Spolstra 
pretty consistently outmaneuvered Brad Stevens in this series. Um, and the lineups that Eric used, um, I don't, it wasn't like a, a batting a thousand, you know, Stevens mm-hmm. had some adjustments, but the lineups that Eric used, the, the strategies that he put in, he's also got a nice full deck. I mean, he can go down the bench and say, Andre Guadala, I'm going to play you. You know, they have given him, Pat Riley has given him a extremely deep, versatile team, but he was able to use all of those tools. And in my view, really win that matchup with Brad Stevens. Um, and if you watched what happened in this series, in this game, it kind of was the epitome of it. Brad Stevens couldn't quite get the lineup in that he needed to have in against the Heat. And tonight in this game, he used um, Grant Williams a little bit more, and that really worked out. But then he took him off the court, and the game changed again. He tried to go super small, but the Heat were able to combat that. Um I just thought Brett, I thought uh, Eric Spolstra acquitted himself incredibly well in this series. Well, I'm I'm curious what you guys think of that lineup where they had the two the two snipers out there with Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson on the court together. And I thought like at one point in this series, it, it, it looked like the Celtics were doing a pretty good job of kind of create not letting Bam go downhill, not letting Jimmy penetrate. And when you get those two snipers out there at the same time. I love, I love this phrase that Eric Spolsha uses. Um, when I was writing a story on Duncan Robinson, he used this story. I don't know if he made it up or he stole it from somebody, but it's a great line. He said, you know, the, the shooters, they just create gravity on the court. It's just, it's just, there's a gravitational pull when you have two shooters like that out there. And, you know, Duncan Robinson doesn't put it on the floor as much as Hero does, but um, but they both create a lot of gravity out there that, that really opened things up for Bam and, and Jimmy get, to get into the paint. And none of those guys, none of those guys are afraid of these moments. Yeah. One of the one of those telling um, moments of the of the entire series for me was Eric Spolstra's coach's interview right before the fourth quarter, and he's just dialed in. And those things are usually super forgettable, but he's like, "This is great. Let's just see what happens here." We toe to toe in the center of the ring. So calm and so confident. It's, in that it's moment. so interesting that you remarked on that because I had a completely different view. And this is oh. somebody who who covered Eric Spolstra for four years every day. Spoh's an expert at giving non-answers. So Rachel asks him like a question about how are you going to handle, I can't remember exactly what the question was. Um, and he goes, this is just great competition. You know, it was like a non-answer. You know, oh, um, uh, God, what was the second question? She was asking about something else. And, and he was like, uh, Oh, he's uh he's an outstanding player. Uh, it was about Jason Tatum or something. He's an outstanding player. It's just um, uh, he's just a he's just a pro at uh, handling that. You know what I thought was interesting also. So Saturday night, Lakers win and there's confetti. Yeah. No confetti for the Heat, and I, I don't that too. <laughs> I don't know this yet because the game just ended. I will ask about it, but I will wager. <laughs> that a message was sent from the Heat organization to the NBA. We don't want confetti um, for winning the conference championship, even though as the five seed um, and as, you know, everything all considered, like they have earned a celebration. Um, but uh, I did notice that. And <laughs> there was a, there was a shot of Spolstra, you know, while his team is celebrating their, um, congratulating or, you know, you know, showing sportsmanship with the Celtics and some of the players are hugging each other. And Spo has got that iron face that he always has. Um, and I think that that was an organizational move, but um, it just watching the way the heat have gone about this postseason, I mean, they're 12 and three. I mean, you say that, you know, they're an underdog. Um, it wasn't like they backed their way in here. It wasn't like they, you know, won some games by hitting half court shots or, you know, eked out a couple of seven game series or, you know, took advantage of another player, a star on the other team getting hurt or something like that. Um, they were the better team demonstrably in all three series. They, they absolutely stormed their way through here. And, you know, it's just, we thought that they were dangerous, but Kirk, I did not see this sort of dominance that was, that was coming. And and I really wonder what they, what the matchup is going to look like against the, the mighty Lakers. 
Yeah, I remember I went on Zach's podcast in July before the bubble really started, and we both were like sort of projecting the second round matchup between the Heat and the Bucks, and both were like, "Oh man, we love the Heat," but I don't think anybody predicted that they were going to run through the Bucks and then get all the way to the finals. But now, like you said, Brian, in retrospect, it's not surprising they were the clearly the better team in all three of these series. And looking forward to this next series, I don't think the Lakers are going to chase them off the court. These guys are not afraid. Uh, Pat Riley has built an incredibly tough roster of guys that that don't back down. I mean, you know, Momo mentioned the the Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson. These guys both played incredible in the fourth quarter to help. Get he had he had there. them on the court and not Goran Dragic at the end. By the way. Incredible. He played, I mean, he Hero. played Hero over Dragic, who's been great. Great. Yeah, I think you're right about Spo having a great, great series. Um, and I would say that there's some great youngish coaches in the Eastern Conference. But Tyler Hero in particular, scoring 11 points in the fourth quarter to help the Heat finish this series. Here's a stat that'll that'll tickle you, Brian. That's the, the second most by a rookie in the fourth quarter of a series-clinching game over the last 20 years. Only Daniel Gibson. In the nineteen in the two thousand seven conference finals, had more in the fourth quarter. Well, than that. I mean that Daniel Gibson game, which was Game <laughs> Six of the Eastern Conference Finals two thousand seven. Um, LeBron had scored forty nine the night the Game Five, twenty nine of the last thirty, and the and the Pistons predictably were like, "Look, we're we're not letting this guy score fifty on us to eliminate us." Daniel Gibson scored thirty one points off the bench on nine. Shots. Oh my God. <laughs> Still one of the greatest efficiency games of all time. And his hero was p- putting up 37 the other night. And we were watching, um, uh, you know, when we watch games, sometimes we're in Slack channel with our stats group who provides us incredible stats. You wouldn't, um, we should sell access to that. Don't you think? <laughs> no, I don't um, want anyone else to have well, it. Right. It makes but me it's so happy when I can just ask things like, like imagine like some of the, it. imagine some of the greatest statisticians, you know, in the world with ESPN's database at their fingertips um, for playoff games. There's a whole crew of them watching and they're in a Slack channel. Um, but as Tyler Hero was um, racking up those numbers, uh, he was passing Daniel Gibson on a bunch of those because oh. that was a classic game. But Hero has backed it up. And I got to say, you know, he's 20. He looks like he's 20. Maybe he even looks like he's 18. When he put that hat on after the game, (laughs) he looked like he was 16 years old. (laughs) Um, But no fear whatsoever from him. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click ranger.com or just stop by. Momo, I just want to, before we talk about the Lakers, I want to spend a minute on the uh, Celtics here. Mm-hmm. Um, they are going to have huge regrets here because, you know, the Heat yep. came back on them several times. They're going to have huge regrets that a zone defense, while very athletic, um, and not your typical zone cause them so many problems. They're going to have regrets that Gordon Hayward was not at his best. And in, in this, yeah. he just, he looks like he's moving like he's 38 years old. And um, clearly he's just not right with that ankle. And he, you know, he did everything he could to get back. They're going to have regrets that Jason Tatum, while he had some great games in the series, went on some disappearing acts. And, um, if you're going to be a player, it's going to lead a team towards a championship. You just can't do that. It's, it's, it's a, it's a ridiculous standard and he's not there yet. Um, there's a lot for the Celtics to be frustrated and their fans to be frustrated about um, the way this series went down. Yeah. I mean, look in the fourth quarter when it's winning time. Okay. And we, I just watched the Lakers last night when LeBron scored 16 in the fourth quarter. All right. 16 in the fourth quarter. That's, that's what that, I mean, and, and I think uh, the last six of those were unassisted. In other words, he just took the ball to the hole and said, get out of my way. I'm, I'm it's winning time. 
Um, Bam Adebayo did that in the fourth quarter for the Heat. Jason Tatum tried to do that for the Celtics and just couldn't do it. Like, he was trying. He was trying to be that guy for them, but either he's not that guy or he's not that guy yet. I, I think I think he's not that guy yet, but I do think he has it in. And it's hard because you're a young team, and sometimes when you get there early, um, you know, we said this a couple of years ago when he faced off with LeBron um, in the Eastern Conference Finals, just um, when LeBron was in Cleveland, we were like, wow, just in a couple of years, that team is going to be there. But it's like, when is the, when is the, when's the window? Like, is, is it now? Do they still have two or three more years to, to where we say that, you know, they're still so young? Because they really still so are, they're really still so young. But, you know, it's twice now in the Eastern Conference Finals, they haven't, they haven't quite delivered and, and they could have. Yeah, Kirk, I mean, you know, the Celtics have now lost three of the last four years. They've been in the conference finals and okay, two of them are against LeBron. Um, the one they lost in game seven at home. I mean, it's it's a bitter pill to swallow, even though they're they're good. But you know, at some point, you know, they have to take the next step and Tatum's gonna be the half I mean, because I thought Jalen Brown played at a very high level. Yeah. Um I, but it's going to have to be Tatum who takes the next step, and it, it's a it's a big ask. But it, but uh, he has that room to grow, in my view. Yeah, I think Tatum is a is a, a future future superstar. Um, he's one of the most talented, you know, three level scorers in the league already. He's twenty two. You know, when I look at this game in this series, the Celtics had a chance to go to the finals. The Celtics were ahead ninety six to ninety with nine minutes left in Game Six. Uh, and they got blown off the court. And some of the problems we saw in that crucial final stretch sort of echoed for me uh, some of the problems I would associate with previous Celtics teams. They started just settling for jump shot after jump yep. shot down the stretch. They they ended up 2 of 13 in the fourth quarter of the final nine minutes from three-point range, shooting more threes than twos um, when they couldn't buy a bucket and just keeping shooting and not not taking it to the rack. You know, Jason Tatum is a superstar. He can go – uh, get points at the free throw line if he needs to. And they just didn't do that in that most crucial stretch. And the other thing I'd point out is I think some Celtics fans might be frustrated with the with the bigs rotation. And you said it earlier, Brian, just not really landing on the right lineup, um, particularly up front with, you know, with Grant Williams. Robert Williams probably could have played more. Ennis Canner probably could have played yet less. Daniel Tice, um, you know, they, you look at this team, obviously Tatum, Brown, and Kemba are going to be out there. Marcus Smart's going to be out there. But that last spot, um, you know, they, they looked like they were still experimenting down the stretch in game six. Uh, so I think they will have some regrets about how they, how they performed, uh, particularly uh, in the end of, of these close games. And, um, but that said, they're pretty well stocked for the future. They got a good coach. They got, they obviously, they obviously had a, a hole at center. I mean, they would argue probably that wasn't a hole because they thought Tice is so, he does so many things very well. And he is, um, they elected or weren't able to address that position during the year. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, they had some rabbits they could have pulled out of the hat. Uh, you know, I remember my God, it's like, 10 months ago now, but I remember analyzing this within some within their organization about what possibly they could do, because there's a certain number of guys who were untouchable. And Gordon Hayward, Hayward is in that group. Um, there was some thought that at some point that you know, he could have been traded. That was not on the table for this year. So it wasn't like a, a dereliction of duty, but they, but they went into this, um, you know, at the trade deadline, they made the choice not to, not to get to, you know, do anything. And, you know, they, they were hoping for some guys to get bought out. Uh, Tristan Thompson was a guy that they were hoping to get bought out as an example. And it just didn't happen. And they didn't have an opportunity, but I mean, that was a personnel issue that Brad Stevens tried to overcome throughout the year because Brad Stevens wants athletes on the court, um, but that they were not able to overcome. And, uh, you know, to, to sign Kemba Walker, they, they let Aaron Baines go or they traded him. And look, I'm not trying to say that if they had Aaron Baines, that this would have been a different result because I'm not sure that, you know, there was a guy out there I could say, go get, and that would mean that they could have slowed down Bam Adebayo. But um, they may not have had the personnel quite that they ideally needed. And um, you can do things right for a really long time, but you, in situations like this, your weaknesses always show up. Mm -hmm. And, um, and the, you know, the other thing, like, no, Kemba, 
for as great as Kemba is, and for as um, as much of a resume as he he has of hitting big shots, there are times when Kemba struggles at the end of the games because he doesn't always have the size to pull it off. And so Kemba tried to carry this team down the stretch of this game, and he just wasn't able to do it. And it's he can do it. His his just his batting average is kind of low, uh, so you have to have others who can step up. And in, in this case, it just didn't happen. So um, I think they will be back, but I also think that um, they left some stuff on the table. If only starting your fitness journey was as easy as starting this podcast. The truth is all the lift big, get big and beach body ready in three weeks pressure stops most of us from even starting. And starting is what matters most. It's everything. Wherever you're beginning and wherever you want to be, Peloton encourages you to just start. With thousands of classes to get you moving and doing what you can, even if that's just a 10-minute low-impact class, they have those too. And when you're ready, take it up a gear with a 30-minute live DJ ride. Start with Peloton and find instructors that will keep you motivated to stay on your fitness journey. Learn the basics and build from there. Remember, doing something is everything. Get started with a Peloton bike or Bike Plus rental at onepeloton.com slash bike slash rentals. Terms apply. The Lakers uh, did what nobody could do, which was finally beat the Nuggets. And I have to say... um, my big takeaway from the series, because I'm still not a hundred percent over what happened to the Clippers, Ramona. Yeah. And uh, I take nothing. I mean, the, the Nuggets just ran out of gas, by the way, you want to hear something crazy about the Nuggets. Do you know they had a losing record in the, in the playoffs? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you're right. They were nine and 10. Nine and 10. Yeah. Um, so hmm. while they were amazing, um, and we we all enjoyed watching them, and their two comebacks were just spiritual. And Jamal Murray just did some amazing stuff, and Jokic is one of the most enjoyable guys in the league for me to watch. Um, they were a losing team in the postseason. Um, but what I couldn't help myself from thinking about Ramona was, I think the Lakers would have slapped the Clippers. Ooh. They couldn't slap them on Christmas. Yeah, They couldn't slap them. You know, you know, back at the start of the season, but what the Lakers did to the Nuggets after what the Nuggets did to the Clippers um, removed any. I didn't really have any lingering doubt, but I don't the, know. Okay, and 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 I say this with all due respect to the Lakers. I think they they've just been locked in. But you know, they lose the they lose one game a series. You know, and it's you know sort of a gentleman sweep each time. Um, but. Um, the biggest issue with the Clippers was that they just didn't have that energy and spirit. Well, what would have got them that energy and spirit I mean, playing against the Lakers? I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not willing to go that far to say that they would have slapped them. I think they would have beat them. I, I, I picked them the whole year. Like I, I, I was one of those who just when I, but my analysis came down to, okay, seven game series. It's going to be Lakers Clippers. Who do I think wins? I thought the Clippers had the better team, but I thought the Lakers had the two best players. It was the better duo in terms of LeBron and AD. Who do I trust more? I think I still trust LeBron and AD more. And and I I just never got off that 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 you know fundamental. Here's why you pick them. Um, I don't know, man. The Clippers they they would have got up for that series. Would they? Yeah, that's kind of, that's, that's, that's that's the fundamental question, isn't it? Yeah. You know, um, I have to say, uh, the all encompassing series that LeBron played, I mean, he's got dozens of these types of series, but doing that is breathtaking. It was breathtaking, um, to watch him do what he was doing. Especially defensively, uh, man. I mean, just, I mean, you know, we've always known he can take over games, right? Right. I mean, he can do that. That, That's LeBron. But the, the defensive effort he's been giving all year long, not just not just, you know, picking and choosing, that's what's really that's what's really stood out, I thought. Yeah, I mean you wanna know the um the difference between like um you know sort of sophomore level class and um uh, <laughs> not even doctorate. What's above doctorate academic uh, Goldsberry? What's uh, I don't a, know, some sort of I don't know. Like, Meredith and um, Nobel Prize for (laughs) physics versus, you know, uh, sophomore year chemistry. Yeah. 
Yeah, if there was a Nobel Prize for basketball, I think we know who would get it. Okay, well, so so Jason league. Tatum, Jason Tatum is in second year. Okay, LeBron in the in the fourth quarter as he's dropping the hammer to go to the finals. Ramona, he's not even breathing hard. <laughs> he's not even breathing hard. It was amazing. Well, I mean, you know, just watching him sit there at the end of the game with the confetti falling down. Okay, that 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 was something I took note of too tonight, Brian. When we saw, we didn't see the confetti with the Miami Heat, right? Um, but LeBron's sitting there with that thousand-yard stare, and and I think Tanya Ganguly from the LA Times asked him this question: you know, what were you thinking about? And he just said, you know, I was thinking about everything it took to win this series. This this is a really hard-fought series. Everything that it took for us to get here. Thinking about my teammates who haven't been here before. Thinking of Anthony Davis, you know, who, who is why, you know, I helped bring him here. And then I was thinking about just my own journey and what this means. I mean, it was like eloquent. It, it was amazing just the way he was able to put all of that into perspective. And I, you know, it kind of got me thinking like, you know, one year ago today, the Lakers opened media day and on a season that is still going on. It's amazing. It's been a whole year since last, since that last media day. Um, and at the time, we thought the hardest thing LeBron had to do was you know, resurrect the Lakers. Right? It's this team that had missed the playoffs six years in a row, and he was coming off the most serious injury of his career. You know, Magic Johnson had left the front office and reputation in tatters. Like we thought that was going to be a big challenge. Look at all the other stuff this man has carried that franchise through this year, and to be playing at this level. And this is what we talk about with aging stars, like. You know, usually by the time that you have the basketball IQ that LeBron has, your your body gives out on you, and you're not able to execute physically what you what your mind now sees. It's this sort of cruel twist of fate with you know with the aging process. He, for for however long he can stay in this place where his body can still match what his mind is seeing and feeling, we should all just sit back and enjoy it. Yeah, that's really well said. Um... That's really well said. Uh, Kirk, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, what the matchup would look like. I've actually spent the last couple of days texting with a handful of NBA coaches um, about what the Lakers should do uh, when the Heat go to zone and what that's going to look like because that's an interesting matchup. Um, as someone who maps the, the floor, your Nobel Prize mapper. Yeah, floor mapper I love it. <laughs> what do you think that's going to look like? Because I could, I could see that being one of the major things that is a, a factor in this series. Well, I mean, the good news is they have uh, two uh, incredible playmakers in, who have rich playoff experience, who I think are, are, are savants. And, and Rondo is the second one. I think LeBron is the first one. But Rajon Rondo has been carving up defenses and getting his teammates the right looks at the right times. Um, in ways that I never thought I'd see again from him. Um, and I'm not going to make this answer about Rondo, but let's just say they have this other guy besides one of the greatest playmakers in the history of the league in LeBron James. Um, when it comes to being shrewd and being smart and making plays in the center of that zone, I also think Anthony Davis is a pretty nice luxury to have there at the nail uh, in the middle of that zone. Um, so, you know, the Celtics, again, that lack of a bigger playmaker to put in the middle of the teeth of the zone, uh, I think revealed itself as, as a big weakness for them. I don't think the Lakers have that weakness. Um, that said, they have their own issues with shooting the basketball outside of the paint. Um, and when I look at especially the, in the half court offense, especially in, in and when I look at the series, that's where I'm really curious to see if the zone is the priority of Miami or if simply keeping Anthony Davis and LeBron James out of the paint uh, is their priority and making them beat them with jump shots. Because that, if you can effectively turn those two guys into jump shooters, you greatly reduce their damage on that side of the court. Good luck. Easier said than done. But if you can do that, um, you got a chance. Well, in talking to the coaches, the head coaches, um, a couple of things emerge. Number one, um, I think this is kind of general um, zone strategy, but especially against uh, the Heat. 
<laughs> to use was one guy's verbiage. You've got to probe the baseline mm. because the way that the Heat play, they a lot of times bring their most athletic um, guys up front and they kind of hide Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson in the corners. Um, and so uh, what this one guy was saying was like, look, you don't take the first decent shot. Be patient and definitely probe that baseline. Um, another thing, and this is what Laker fans have come u- gotten used to, is just run. You know, Ramona, it's so interesting. The way the Lakers play up-tempo was the way Luke Walton wanted to play up-tempo um, last year with Lonzo Ball and um, uh, pushing the tempo and LeBron pushing the tempo. And they do push the tempo amazingly. I mean, after made baskets, I mean, they were – beating the nuggets back on made baskets like jamal murray would drive in make a great layup and he'd be under the basket and his his man was already you know 60 feet down the floor you know after made baskets if miami can't set up the zone uh they they can't defend you so that's another thing that they said is you stick with that high volume or that high speed transition play yeah i mean the Kurt makes a really good point about um, you know, just keeping them out of the paint, right? And and nobody knows how to defend LeBron probably better than Eric Spolstra. coaching for so many years. He knows all the strengths and weaknesses. Um, the biggest thing, though, is LeBron's a better player than he was in Miami. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, he was more athletic um, in, in, in Miami. He could do other things. But, Brian, I don't know. I, I've seen some evolution in his game since then. Um, and so that is – that would be – pretty ironic if, if um if he ends up you know winning with beating the heat with by, by proving that he actually can shoot and he's been shooting okay this you know this, more than more than you know early early stage. well his three-point shooting was he was sl- pretty sluggish but it picked up at the end of the series yeah. um but you're, you're still going to play the percentages it's the best it's it, you know it's it's what the detroit pistons did 15 years yeah. ago <laughs> and it's still the it's still it's it's yeah. not as effective but it's still the way you play. Uh, it's what the Spurs did in the 2007 finals. Um, uh, you know, the, the other thing is, you know, the, the heat, they've got eight or nine guys they can use. Um, you know, Andre Iguodala, who by the way, was seven of 27 on three point shooting in the playoffs coming into game six, he goes four or four on threes. Um, they have, you know, Jay Crowder and they have Iguodala and they have Jimmy Butler. They have some, like, look, none of those dudes are going to stop him. LeBron has played against Iguodala dozens of times in the playoffs, and he has some tremendous <laughs> games against him. But they do have a depth that Denver and Houston did not. Whether or not that makes a difference, I don't know, but that is a they do have that on their team. And it seems like they also have like a really strong team concept on the defensive side of the ball. And if you have to look at this this current Lakers run, uh, you mentioned how they didn't play the Clippers. They played uh, the Blazers, the Rockets, and the Nuggets. And I know the Rockets were a nice sort of defensive story there uh, for a minute, but this is by far the best complete team defense they will face in this run. Um, Denver was one of the worst playoff defenses in the bubble period. Uh, so it, it'll be interesting to see and that that play that, that I can picture in my head, Brian, where you say, you know, after a make, they were throwing the ball down and getting these easy layups against the Nuggets. Those kinds of things, I think, will disappear against an Eric Spolster team. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see if they have to execute in the half court, if the, if, if the Heat can effectively reduce uh, the open floor nature of this series. Um, will this Lakers offense look as sharp as it did against Denver? I think that's a big question. So how do you suppose the Adebayo, how do you, how will the heat use Adebayo? Um, do you use him against Anthony Davis? Um, you know, how do the Lakers defend Adebayo? I think he, I think what, you know, what he can do is a challenge that, um, you know, he's not better than Anthony Davis at this point. But he presents things that are, you know, Jokic brings his own set of challenges. And I thought the Lakers on balance did a pretty good job there. How do you think, Ramona, they handle Adebayo? Because that is a, um, 
that is going to be uh, another major point in the series. Look, I mean, Anthony Davis finished second in Defensive Player of the Year, though, right? Um, a lot of people think he should have won. I, I, I had a second behind Giannis. But if if you really are that guy, then you're going to raise your hand and say, give me out of bio, right? right? You're gonna, like, that's Anthony Davis' assignment. And I think the question is, does Bam defend Anthony Davis on the other side? Or do you leave that for Jake Crowder? Do you leave that for somebody else so that Bam doesn't get in foul trouble? Um, I, I know Anthony would... I, mean, I feel like Anthony would just drive on him and try to get him in foul trouble all the time. Um, that's the Lakers are pretty successful at getting Jokic in foul trouble um, with, with the way they played against him. So, Jokic had, for a guy who's one of the smartest guys yeah. I've ever seen, Jokic had some brain dead fouls. And, and, and I know that there was all kinds of complaints about the officiating, but Jokic could, could have had nine fouls in game, in game five. Yeah. That, uh, that, that just looked to me to be the fatigue. That was just, desperation and fatigue and I'm reaching and I'm, you know, that he's better than that. I agree with you. Um, so I don't know. That's a really, that's an interesting question as we go forward. Can My other question is, can, can Iguodala still stay with LeBron? I mean, he, he's done it before. Well, that's why the zone, you know, if you play zone, it's not man on man, it's group on group. And they, and they're so, you know, the heat are in such great condition, which is a calling card of their organization that, they can play that they can play high energy zone for whole quarters. And it's just, you know, the Celtics just had a problem. They they just were not comfortable. And, you know, you learn how to break a zone when you're in sixth grade, ninth grade, you know, it's not, it's not schematically that different. It's, it's, it's not a revolutionary defense. There was a reason why NBA teams stopped using it. It was outlawed for a long time, but um, because usually um, it can be mathematically handled with skill. But the Heat battle that math because of how aggressive they are and um, how multi-talented they are. And they've got a couple of guys who are just really smart and really good. And even like, you know, you say that a guy like Hero and Robinson are the weak spots. And of course, I agree. If 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 LeBron James gets into space against Tyler Hero, he's going to make mincemeat of him. But Hero and Robinson are always in the right place at the right time. Even if they get outplayed, they're in the right place at the right time. And so that's something that goes a long way and seemed to fluster the Celtics at times. So um, I would imagine that the Lakers, after they celebrate um, and they and they begin their practice, I would imagine that there's going to be a lot of zone practice as they get ready for that, because it's not something that you see a whole lot. Um, and interestingly, the Lakers use some zone against the nuggets, but the heat are such a good three point shooting team. I wonder if that will happen. The NFL schedule drops this week and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with vivid seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Now, Brian, I got a question for you. I know it's your podcast, but I'm going to turn it around on you since, since you're probably the best one to answer this. For, for a lot of years after LeBron left Miami, he, he wasn't all that good against the Heat, right? He, didn't, he either didn't play them or he wasn't that good. Yeah, he, he kind of avoided games in Miami, if I could be honest. Yeah, was it always just in Miami, or was it like when they also when the Heat came to Cleveland? Like, what what was that dynamic about, and 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 where does it stand now? Well, look. So when LeBron left Miami, I, I've I've talked to three or four people who were on this flight. There was like maybe 
maybe eight or nine people on this flight. I've talked to three or four of them. LeBron is in Las Vegas uh, oh, yeah. for his camp. Ramona, you're there. Oh, yeah. Dwayne Wade just showed up in the gym. <laughs> we were like, Dwayne Wade? I was in Bristol. You were in Vegas. Um, <laughs> and uh, LeBron meets with the Heat. The Heat get the last meeting in Vegas. Um, uh, nobody knows anything. I mean, obviously, the people knew. Um, but LeBron does the interview with, with uh, Lee Jenkins before he leaves. He gets on the plane um, and takes the Nike jet from Las Vegas to Miami. Dwayne c- catches a ride. And, you know, what he was doing was he was making a pit stop where he was going to sign his contract with the Cavs. And then he was going to Rio de Janeiro for the World Cup uh, for a Nike appearance. That's why the Nike jet was taking him there. But it was like, wait a minute, LeBron's flying to Miami with Dwayne Wade after meeting with the Heat. Um, And so the crazy thing about it is now remember, this is like on July 7th or 8th. Um, the free agent market is kind of frozen, but there had been some moves. The Heat still think they've got a really good chance. The, the, the Cavs were a little bit in the dark. They were feeling better and better. Um, there were people in Cleveland who knew, but the Cavs hadn't heard it from Rich Paul or LeBron, so they were skittish. He flies across the country with Dwayne and um, is editing the Lee Jenkins essay on the flight. LeBron is looking at drafts of it on the flight and does not tell Dwayne until after they land. Um, so the next day, LeBron calls Pat Riley um, and informs him that he's going to Cleveland. And Riley, in his own words, he didn't describe it in that moment, but over the subsequent years, was furious, like rage and Rage that he waited so long and, you know, the Heat were out of position. Um, they almost lost Chris Bosh. They were able to, to salvage it, and they signed um, they signed uh, uh, Luol Deng as well. Um, rage that he felt like he was making a horrible mistake, that a dynasty, um, that they were, you know, that he thought they could win four or five titles, that, you know, they had a setback year, but it was no reason um, to to take the first door to use Riley's words. Um, LeBron later said that his motivation for winning a title in Cleveland, I don't know if this is hundred percent accurate. I think his motivation for winning a title in Cleveland was probably a lot more than just making the heat feel this way. But he said that when he left Miami, that um, someone with the heat told him he was making the worst mistake of his career. Pat Riley has, and he's, and he said that was his motivation for the whole thing. Pat Riley has denied that he said that to him. Um, I don't know what's true with that. I will just take Pat at his word, but there's no doubt that Pat Riley thought LeBron was making a terrible mistake, whether he articulated it or not, or how, whoever, who LeBron heard that from, uh, I don't know. Um, so there was frostiness there, as you would imagine. You know, uh, a guy walking away in free agency like that. I was always amazed that there was not more frostiness with Dwayne Wade because Dwayne opted out of his contract alongside LeBron, not knowing what LeBron was going to do. And then when the Heat re-signed him because he had had so many injuries and because they needed money elsewhere, they signed him to a much lower contract. And he, he he had opted out of two years of that contract because this was after four years and he... Um, basically they signed five-year contracts with an opt-out and an opt-in so that they had the choice to make the contract four, five, or six years. But when LeBron opted out, so did Bosch and Wade. And um, Dwayne ended up signing for like less money. I think it cost him around $10 million. And while they are friends and they won titles together, Ramona, you and I are friends. If you cost me $10 million, I might be a little cross with you. Yeah, look, I asked Wayne about this once. I was doing a story on um, Kevin Durant, and I just sort of asked him, you know, what it's like when a guy leaves a city like that. And, and, and I said, what was it like on that flight? You know, did you ever, did you have literally a five-hour flight to convince your best friend to stay? And he said, I never said come back, not once. I'm reading to you the direct quote, okay? Once I knew he made up his mind, I said, it was fun, wasn't it? 
Now go do what what it is LeBron wants to do. I'll support you either way. And I said to him, I wrote back to him, I said, it must have been hard because you knew what it would do to the team. And Dwayne said, not many that's built like me. Not a lot of people could have done that. But my life wasn't made off what LeBron could do for me. So it was easier. I just appreciate our friendship. Everything else is a bonus. Yeah, and I mean, I'm fine. I totally understand him appreciating what they had together. But they remained incredibly close friends after yeah. that. Okay. And I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm not saying it's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying I'm surprised. So, um, there was a lot of hard feelings. Uh, and even though I feel like LeBron going to Cleveland where he thought there was a better short-term future and made more sense for him, wasn't all that different than Pat Riley leaving the Knicks for the heat. Um, Pat Riley did what he had to do and, you know, uh, LeBron did what he had to do. So Riley and LeBron have really never uh, buried the hatchet as far as I know. They didn't communicate for years. Um, and then when LeBron uh, won the championship, uh, Riley sent him a text and LeBron did not return it. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Um, and uh, then there was some other stuff like um, – you know, Riley was getting ready for the draft the following year, and he took a swipe at LeBron for, you know, the previous year. He had talked about how much he liked Shabazz Napier. Um, and he goes, yeah, this year we don't have any smiling faces with hidden agendas, which um, – and then when they played the video tribute – I'm pretty sure this is accurate. I, I Don't hold me a 1,000% to this, but I'm pretty sure when they played the video tribute when LeBron came back to Miami that – Riley didn't stand or something like that. I don't know. That was perceived as a slight or whatever. Um, so this wasn't Dan Gilbert. Um, but uh, there is a level of, you know, pettiness there. And, like, it's not like Pat Riley is like, oh, I really wasn't going to care about these finals. You know, I've got a bunch of rings. Whether we win or lose, it's fine. Oh, it's against LeBron? Well, I got to get him. You know, he wants to win the finals. What, no matter who he's playing, he wants to win. Um, I do think that it spices it up a little Ooh. bit, but Pat Riley is not playing. Okay. Um, this is a fun one that our ESPN Stats and Info people just sent over. Pat Riley has reached the finals in six straight decades. The 1970s as a player, 1980s, 90s, 80s and 90s as a coach, and the 2000s, 2010s, and now 2020s as an executive. Well, he was there as a coach in the 2000s, too. Yep. So, yeah. I mean, I'm just, like, not that not that we deserve anything, okay? I think what 2020 has taught us is that we don't deserve anything and nothing is entitled. We don't even we're, – we're just lucky to have basketball. I mean, Kurt, we, you know, when we first got on this call, I was just like – you said – I think you said uh, it's just amazing we're here, right? Isn't, we, isn't it amazing we're here to have an NBA Finals conversation? But we get the Lakers and the Heat in the Finals? We get the Lakers in the heat in the finals. This is great, guys. Well, you to, yeah, yeah. Before we leave Riley behind, I think it's incredible that we're that you know how hard it is to get to the finals. This is a this is an organization that had the big three in the 2014 finals against the Spurs. Uh, those guys are all gone. Bosch is gone. Wade is gone. LeBron is obviously gone, and Ooh. we're back with a brand new team six years later. And Boom. they did not make the playoffs last year. It's incredible, though. I mean, come on. Do, do, do you know how Neither did the Lakers. <laughs> Neither did the Lakers. Well, you know what? It's, it's, it's kind of amazing. We were doing stats last night. I was, you know, digging stuff up. Okay, so I grew up in L.A. Uh, you know, Laker, people who grew up in L.A. just expect the Lakers to be in the playoffs every year. And if they miss it one year, it's like a big deal. They've missed it six years in a row. Okay. So the last time the Lakers were in the finals, it's, it's this that just blew my mind. Okay. 2010, last time they were in the finals. If you just take away the last 10 years, right? Because it's been 10 years since they were in the finals. The Lakers were in the finals every other year. 32 appearances in 64 years. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah, and, um, you know, the history, I mean, the history is interesting for the fans. It, it doesn't give them a 1-0 lead, but um, <laughs> think of think of 10 years, you know, think of 10 years. Yeah. I was talking to somebody in the Heat organization recently because the Heat are a fun team. I think they're a fun team. Yeah. I mean, at ESPN, like y you went to Miami and did a big piece on Duncan Robinson. Mm -hmm. Zach 
Lowe did a big piece on Bam Adebayo. I've written three or four big pieces on the Heat this year. So the last um, night we were allowed to talk about Heat culture. So get it all in. Well, I'm not even that. Just they're a very interesting and fun team. They are. Yeah. And a, 10 years ago, they were absolutely hated. Yep. Right. Hated. Right. And it's just such a, it's such a, you know, and they were the ultimate uh, favorite, the overdog. Mm-hmm. Now they're an underdog. And really, I think, appreciated by a lot of people. If you like basketball and you're neutral, I find it hard to believe that you don't like watching the Heat. Yeah, they're the anti-super team, Brian. Like In the era of – and I know they got Jimmy Butler, and, and that's no small signing. Uh, but look at the, the other guys are all homegrown, a lot of cast-offs. It's a player development story. I, yeah, Ramona, I'm allowed to say it's a culture story. Uh, today last night. Only. Last night. <laughs> but there's a lot to like in an era where these super teams are going head to head, whether it's the Clippers or the Lakers or whatever, uh, that this team sort of came together a different way and got to the same place. And I think that's why a lot of people really love it. And Pat Riley, again, to Ramona's point, this guy has been in our lives my whole life following the league. This guy has been relevant. And here he is again with this brand new look. And this is his, what is this? His fourth different team that, like you think about the Showtime Lakers and the in the physical Knicks and then the in the big three heat. This is a very different team too. And it just speaks to how many different ways this guy has gotten to the top of the NBA mountain. It's remarkable. Well, just think well, about this guy has had Kareem Abdul <laughs> just think of his centers. <laughs> Kareem Abdul Jabbar, Patrick Ewing, Alonzo Mourning, Shaquille O'Neal, Chris Bosch. Bam Adebayo. That's just the centers. Mm-hmm. I mean, talk about, you know, th- think about the era change that you talk about in that, just in, in naming those names. It's incredible. And, uh, but again, Pat's not playing, but it, he, you know, the players sort of wear his initials on their chest. And you know who else does too? LeBron. Even though LeBron doesn't consider Riley a friend and it was a business relationship and Pat wanted so badly to build a bond there and it did not happen. And that's what Pat is upset about more than anything is that normally when Pat goes to bond with players, he does it, you know, I mean, uh, it didn't go so well with Shaq, but that was sort of a, an arranged marriage that was forced. I mean, he traded for me, didn't sign there. It wasn't a recruitment yeah, effort. And, and I do want to talk about this. It's something I wrote the other, last week, but, but that's not how LeBron rolls. Like he doesn't necessarily build bonds with the GM or the executive or the owner. Like he historically has kind of kept that distance. And I think there's a, there's a strategy to that too. You know, you let your agent handle that, you let, but also you don't open that door. That means they don't go around your agent to get directly to you and to, to use the personal charm and to use any kind of personal connection. Like you, you don't, you know, if you don't open the door, they can't walk through it, right? You can't. They can't go through the back door. And if and I, you want to talk turkey, yeah, there's five to eight people. I mean, I, I'm going to take out immediate family members because obviously, there's like five to eight people in LeBron James' life, and they've all been there for 20 years, most of them, and if not 2010. If you're not into that five to, to eight people, you are interchangeable to him. Now, it doesn't mean that he won't try to win with you. It doesn't mean he won't put his arm around you. It doesn't mean that he won't invite you to his Halloween party. It doesn't mean he won't get you paid. It doesn't mean he won't um, go to the hookah lounge with you, which apparently LeBron likes to do, he revealed last night. That was fun. Play cards with you. But if it comes down to it, LeBron will send flowers. Okay? And if you don't believe me, ask Dwayne Wade about that. Okay. And Riley doesn't roll. Riley rolls like that too, except for he likes, because remember when push came to shove, Tim Hardaway walked, Alonzo morning walked. He traded Shaq. He let Dwayne Wade walk. It ended poorly with Chris Bosch, although that wasn't Riley's fault. Riley is not afraid to send flowers himself. Now, the bonds that they built, you know, Hardaway, Mourning, even Shaq, 
came back. Wade came back. Even Bosch. It was post game tonight. Spo shouting out the people in Heat culture, and he shouts out Alonzo Mourning and Shane Battier and Riley and Aris, Mark Mickey Harrison and Dwayne Wade, and he shouts out Chris Bosch. Oh, wait a minute, we're we're missing we're missing somebody. I mean, he obviously can't shout out his opponent, but um, <laughs> but like it was like this is for you, Dwayne, and you, CB. Oh, what what <laughs> you know? What, there's a missing name there. Um, but, uh, you know, part of the reason that Riley and LeBron don't get along great is because they're so much alike. Um, mm, mm. uh, but I and say that's an inconvenient truth. It's an inconvenient, but, but I think something different's happening with LeBron in LA. Um, I don't know. It could just be his golden years where he wants to end up, where he's going to end his career. Right. And he, he signed a longer term deal here than, than he did ever, they ever did in Cleveland. Um, but <laughs> that's right. LeBron signed for more years in Miami and LA than he ever gave Dan Gilbert. <laughs> Gilbert. It's just true. What do you want me to say? It's just true. I don't know if you caught this last night. I don't know if anybody, you know, like on the Instagram stories, like I tend to be, but Bron put up a picture of Jeannie Buss. It was her birthday last night. Um, and it was like them in this very cute embrace at the ugly sweater party. And he was like, happy birthday, boss. <laughs> right after they win. And you know he. This is this is after you know they they've had a pretty nice relationship more than I would I would say he's ever had with another team owner. Um, that's been the hallmark of of the Bus family ownership uh, when it comes to players. Mona, I'm They're telling top you, players, I'm right? not saying today and I'm not saying tomorrow. It may never happen, okay? Uh huh. But if it comes down to it, he'll send flowers. And you don't believe me? Don't believe me. Okay. I'm telling you, that's how we'll the man see, rolls. We'll see. Let's see how the next, not just finals go, but but the, the last few years of his career here. It may not be necessary. Yeah. It may not be necessary. I'm just saying. And you know what? He'd send flowers to the organization, and he's he's gonna he's he's gonna spend the next two weeks trying to cut their throat. Ooh. And he'll say nice things about them, but he's gonna try to cut their throat. That's just the way it's gonna be. And you know what? We wouldn't want it any other way. We wouldn't want it any other way. Man, I'm excited. You guys got me excited about this series. But again, at the end of the day, Kirk, it's not LeBron versus Pat Riley. I mean, that's an exciting thing Come to talk on. about. I'm almost into the spiciness of this. This is exciting now. Listen, I want to know who's guarding Tyler Hero. Oh, who's I know you Goran Dragic. I'm going to go read all 8,000 million words of Wright Thompson's Pat Riley story from a couple of years ago. I'm going to go reread it. I'm going to go dig up some fun, spicy stories because this is, this is a good matchup. I like it. <laughs> well. Uh, it's go- I hope it's going to be fun. I'd like to see it not be five games like the other Lakers series. I'd like to see it um, be a, a test. And I and Kirk, I think you're right. I think the Lakers, this will be a different test than they've had. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that Miami is a five seed is really irrelevant because mm-hmm. when they came back, they did not play like a five seed. So No, the, 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 both these teams are 12 and three in the playoffs. Uh, and you could argue that, that Miami had a tougher road. Um, so yeah, do not sleep on this Miami squad. That's, well, I'll say that they, the Lakers would have been favored anyway. Um, Vegas always favors the Lakers cause they, they get all the LA fans who just bet with their hearts, you know, and they take a bunch of people's money. Um, that's, 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 the, that's the Vegas thing. But, um, I don't, I feel less confident picking the Lakers in this series than I have in any other round that I've picked them and I've picked them every single series they've been going and dating all the way back to the preseason, but this is, this feels like a, a, a good matchup for this is a good, good finals matchup. I'll say this. Um, I was talking to somebody or maybe I was listening to some, I wasn't, I wasn't talking to him. I was listening to somebody or reading somebody say, but you know, that this was one of LeBron's most dominant runs through the playoffs. Um, he's been 12 and three or better five times. Jeez. The finals. Jeez. Okay. So um, the man's resume Pretty, pretty, pretty good. Okay. Thank you for listening to the Hoop Collective podcast. Thank you for staying up late, Troy, back in Connecticut. Thank you to Kirk. Thank you to Ramona. It is our plan, and I hope Andrew Hahn doesn't get mad at me for saying that. As we did last season, it is our plan to podcast after every single finals game. We had some incredibly spicy ones last year. Um, And we will strive to do that again, although we are not on site, unfortunately, but that's reality. So thank you for listening to this podcast. 
We look forward to talking to you after game one, game two, game three, etc. Hopefully all the way up to seven. Have a great week. Happy finals.